I feel like every podcast that does the NFL has to talk about the fact that it's whatever week just finished up. Although we've got Pittsburgh and Miami tonight, so look out for Monday Night Football. But week eight, Chris Long, every Monday, the Ryan Rosillo podcast, part of the Ringer Network. And today's episode, love those people from State Farm, did the big State Farm barbecue at Bill's house last night. The Ryan Rosillo Show is brought to you by State Farm. If you're fumbling with insurance, State Farm agents are here to help because with over 19,000 agents, they're local to you and available to help. Whether you connect in person, by phone, or through the State Farm mobile app, agents are here to help. So go with the one that has coverage and agents you can count on. State Farm, talk to an agent today. Talk to one. Yeah. Even if you don't, even if you don't think you need it right now, just, hey man, what's new with you, State Farm agent? A lot of agents being talked to today, right? Trade deadline coming up tomorrow. Look at that segue. I know. <laughs> You're getting so segue into a segment we're not prepared for. No, we did. I Leonard Leonard Williams did just get uh, dealt right before we we uh, got on the phone, and he's headed to New York. The By Giants. the way, can can I ask you a question about that? Because Leonard Williams, who I think is good, I, you know, he's the high pick out of USC. Was really good at USC. I don't watch a ton of Jets games, but he's definitely a guy you notice. He's different. He's probably like one of those best big body guys looking wise. So maybe that tricks me into him. But then it's like if everybody is asking you about Leonard Williams, shouldn't that tell you that maybe you shouldn't want to trade him, especially when he's young and not even on his second contract? But if the counter is that they're in the building, don't think he's that good or they don't want to pay him, then it's like, well, you shouldn't have paid Le'Veon Bell all of that money anyway, even though I know you had to use your cap space. I just I don't understand, but I never want to assume I know more than the team that's actually making the decision. No, I, I don't either, and I think Joe Douglas is good at what he does. I think that um, they're being intentional with whatever they're doing. I mean, I, I my I was scratching my head when I heard that they might deal Robbie Anderson. That's been kind of Darnold's best option, uh, but of course they don't want to pay him. So it's never a conversation that's as simple as, hey, this guy's not good enough. Leonard Williams is a good football player. I haven't watched him a lot this year, admittedly. Not a big, like, Jets um, Sunday not ticket guy. Watch. Right. Yeah, you know. yeah, no, no disrespect. But um, I think okay. what it is with that. Leonard is that he's a tweener. Um, you know, he's not an edge rusher. He's not a prototypical three technique. He's a guy that can do a lot of different things. And he's also played on a bad team, you know, for his entire career. So the misconceptions about players that are high picks and play on bad teams, they can follow guys. Okay, yeah, and the other one I just want to give every fantasy guy out there a heads up. Kenyon Drake, look out. Alert. Look He's out. on my team. He's Start on my him. team. Yeah. No, he, he sucks at fantasy. And for, for the last couple of years, every fantasy draft rankings had him as a first-round pick. And he was a nice, multi-dimensional offensive player at Alabama. You can blame it all on Miami if you want to, but I just there's certain guys that fantasy falls in love with, and then it completely skews who they actually are as a real NFL player. I remember having a huge argument with Van Pelt one year about the top five running backs in the NFL, and he was like Eddie Lacy's fifth. I'm like Eddie Lacy is not and never will be the fifth best running back in the league, but he was going fifth as far as running backs in fantasy. So everybody was a huge Eddie Lacy fan for a little while. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I remember Eddie, Eddie Lacy. I, I remember the Eddie Lacy heyday. Um, but I, I think uh, what I'm hoping is that Drake being moved moves the line north of uh, 14 tonight and that uh, Dolphins 
minus 14 hopefully turns into 15 and that's looking like a snack wait a minute i'm gonna go ahead and guess that they're not favored by 15 points no i'm talking i'm uh, sorry plus 15 if, if it moves to plus 15 which it probably not a good start when i can't get that right but uh okay but i kind of like the dolphins tonight all right good good stuff eddie lacy by the way d- people are gonna come at me and be like oh, 1200 yards 11 touchdowns his rookie season um, and he backed it up with another thousand yard season, but I just, sorry, I'm sorry. Where is he now? I'm not being sarcastic. He hasn't played since 2017. Yeah. So, I mean, he's out of league and then, yeah, running backs, short shelf life, uh, really hard to tackle though. That guy up in green Bay, very cold, very large man. Okay. So here's the plan. We have headlines, best and worst plane rides. We've got five questions. We've got a history lesson. We're going to do Normandy. I haven't finished the book yet, but it's just going to be kind of a first half recap of what went down on the beach that day. Uh, you know, look, I'm I'm far from an expert. I'm halfway through a book on it, so we'll just. Is it we'll stolen just... valor for you to talk about this? Because I haven't finished the book yet. Well, I mean, you haven't finished the book. You weren't technically there. I definitely wasn't there. No, uh, I do know how the story ends. So I feel like even though we're only going to, I'm just I'm going to share some tidbits, and it's up to. Okay. It's up to the world that listens to this podcast to decide what they want to do with those. So backup QBs, Aaron Rodgers, his performance. We, we have all these things, maybe even a little time travel in there. Um, excited about all of them. But let's just go ahead and start as we do each week with your biggest headline. Maybe a little time travel. I love that. Casual time travel reference. Just throw it in. We yeah. will get to that. In the spirit of Bill and Ted. Uh, my headline this week, obviously... In the spirit of being a homer, I want to gloat. The Eagles looked really good yesterday. I think it is about the Eagles doing some things right. But I also think it's about the Bills being pretenders as well. Uh, The Bills have been living off of this uh, Patriots close game. And I think that's going to end up looking funny in the light for a few reasons. But I also think that the fact that the Patriots generally don't play the Bills well and Tom hasn't played the Bills well over a span of years overrated that that close loss and when you're hanging your hat on a close loss in the NFL midway through the year uh that's not real good so more of the same for the Eagles Jim Schwartz's defense playing well against bad quarterbacks final six possessions Josh Allen three of 13 for nine yards that's really bad uh scrambles hurt him a little bit especially in the red zone you know on that Cole Beasley touchdown the rush lanes weren't great I think Josh Sweat ran up the field Allen runs up the middle pulls the defender off uh, uh, Beasley. He's able to drop that little little dump into him to the end zone. And uh, Fletch and BG stepped up, though. I, I think that was the biggest thing defensively for them, holding them to 13 points, was right off the bat. First third down, Fletch gets strip sack, first of the year. He's playing hurt. You know, he's not a guy who who's, it's taken time to come off that, that surgery he's coming back from. BG forced a fumble and recovered it, same play. Nate Gary played well. But I got to gloat about Carson, right? You know, that that's... That's been the the topic of discussion this week. He played well, 17 to 24, uh, 11 straight game with a passing touchdown. You know, a lot of people were kind of hitting the panic button on him because he didn't play well in Dallas. 104 rating last night in bad weather against that defense that everybody thought was really good. But the whole key was 218 yards rushing. Most since Doug's been there, they figured out that Miles Sanders is their most explosive offensive player in the absence of Deshaun Jackson. And they... They, they stuck to the run game. First and second down, they're real formulaic with it. We'll see what happens. Uh, trade deadline coming up. They still need a D tackle. I, I think Williams would have been a nice target for them. They still need a corner. Um, they could look at a Robbie Anderson. 
but they're not out of it, right? Not as yeah, big a win as people might think, but not but a good day. Yeah, not out of it at all. And you know, if you look at last year, starting three and four, finishing up in, at six and three, that's what everybody's going to be looking at. But you know, I thought it was really disappointing for Buffalo because Buffalo is going to go into the half with a lead. Josh Allen fumbles on third and two, gives him a twenty-yard field, and then all of a sudden, you've been dominant defensively against an Eagles team that is still Carson Wentz. And then you're down at the half. And as I'm watching, I'm like, ah, here we go. But as you mentioned, Sanders, and then there was that huge third and 10 conversion that Carson got on his own where I'm watching that going for everybody that wants Carson to change the way he plays. He's going to have to have like seven ACLs blown out before he does. I just don't think he's going to be any different. I don't think his mindset's ever going to be any different than that. So I think he's always going to be susceptible to injury. But when you look at Buffalo defensively, it's a really good defense. They were super impressive, but they're not great against the run. They haven't been great against the run most of the season. And seeing Sanders bust out and then um, the other guy getting it going. So I actually think even though we can sit there and go, Bills, are they really that great as a record? I don't think anybody's arguing that. But it's a good win up there against that defense, especially with what they did in the second half because they blew that game open when it was they a did. struggle. So. And 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 the biggest thing for the Eagles has been balance. They haven't committed to the run game until now, seemingly. Um, and like I said, if you look at their most explosive plays of 30-plus yards, Miles Sanders has the vast majority of them, if you're looking at a guy not named Deshaun Jackson. So glad they figured out that he's real good. You saw earlier in the year he had fumble problems. They still stuck with him. That's a, that's the upside they seen on this kid. Until yesterday, it was a lot of getting him isolated on on backers in the pass game. They gave him the ball more. Like I said, they first and second down, they ran a lot of really intentional run plays to set the tone. Three nothing. They're up early, right? Yeah. I mean, that's a big deal for them because the deficits have been bad. So this is what happens when you give Carson an in-phase game and a run game. It looks pretty good. I'm going to go Pats defense, but it's more really about the Browns is my headline and Freddie Kitchens because this this keeps happening. All right, we know the Pats defense right now is averaging their – they're allowing an average of 234 yards a game. That's actually behind San Francisco, who always surprises everybody as the New England guy that I always get blamed for being. But I don't really care about the outcome of the Pats games. I like when you won when you're on the team. I wasn't even mad when they lost because you got another Super Bowl. There's other guys that I've liked on the team in the past. I'm not doing this whole thing again. But part of me actually loves the fact that Brady keeps doing this. So that's kind of an interesting thing. But when I watch San Francisco's personnel and New England's personnel, I prefer San Diego's. Or excuse me, San Diego's would be really difficult to see now because they don't play there <laughs> That anymore. would be a tough yeah. one. <laughs> that wasn't even a Charger San Diego slip. That was a Niners one. Weird. All right, <laughs> but the Pats defense allowing seven and a half points per game. But it was weird because Chubb got it going. I mean, Chubb, the fumbles were huge and monumental and the Browns had another bad turnover day. But Chubb was nine-plus yards per carry in the first half. He ended up overall had a great game, but they were completely out of it. So the Pats' defense historically is ahead of Baltimore by yardage and by points, and a lot of the points that the Pats have been allowing actually haven't been to offenses in the traditional sense. It's been a handful of, of bigger plays and then some other stuff that's happened. But their schedule coming up now after Week 8 is at Baltimore, which I'm really looking forward to to see how they – game plan Lamar Jackson they're at Philly Dallas Houston and then they're going to get Kansas City week 14 with Mahomes projecting to be back week 10 so this is now going to be not, there's no point in this we're gonna be like hey the Pats aren't good we've all been exposed here but is it the Baltimore Ravens defense history the numbers no. say yes but my eyes say absolutely not and we're going to learn that here very shortly I've been I've been saying this and and at this point if you're one of the few people that are saying hey let's pump the brakes on the like historically you know we're putting every we we have this 
this need to put everything in like exact historical context. And Bill would be the first one to tell you that you don't know who a team is, who a unit is, who a player is until after Halloween. Like that's kind of when seasons become the real deal. And in New England, everything to that point is a preseason. So I think Bill would agree. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but that the defense has a long way to go. I'm sure, you know, his th- 300th win last night, just how you drew it up against against Cleveland, uh, the team he got his start with. And I'm pretty sure he celebrated that by tearing into his defense for letting Nick Chubb run all over him a little bit, for Baker Mayfield being able to move the ball a little bit. If they're the best defense in the history of football, then we also have to say that Baker May- Mayfield's pretty damn good. And Nick Chubb's pretty damn good. And Cleveland's pretty damn good, right? I'm okay with we can't, Nick we Chubb. Can't do, we can't do this thing unless we're going to do that. Yeah, I'm you know, okay and, with saying Nick Chubb is good. Baker. I'm not claiming anything. What I'm saying is, if you're saying that they are better than the Baltimore Ravens defense of folklore at this point from the early 2000s, um, then you have to acknowledge that Cleveland came in and and other than turning the ball over for three straight plays in the first quarter, which is the first time that's happened in seven years, I would have thought it would have been a lot longer. Evidently, there's a lot of bad football. Um, they they did a decent job on the on the ground, and Baker had his moments in a bad weather game. You know, like I took the under in that game, and it was scary. It wasn't a walk in the park. No, but if you're if you're doing this, and I'm just kind of doing the devil's advocate thing here, because I, I know you're being sarcastic about what well, you have to say the Browns are awesome if we're saying yes. that the Pats are that kind of defense. But the Ravens gave up 39 points to Jacksonville week two that mm-hmm. season that we're talking about this Ravens defense. And then right. they couldn't score. I mean, their own team, this is so unbelievable looking back, because when, when it kicked into October for that Ravens team, they, they lost three games in October. The Super Bowl mm-hmm. champ Ravens lost three games. They scored three, six, and six points. Right. Total. So that's no. We're talking 15 points in three weeks, lost all three of those games, giving up 10, 14, 9, and then they got they didn't lose a game again. So um, I'll, ju- I'll just say this. I'll just say this. They've played the entire lineup from the 18 draft, right? And Baker had his, the best game out of any of them against New England in the worst weather. Uh, you know, you could probably sounds like you like Baker now. No, no, I don't. I I'm just like, here's what we've done this year. The Pats are the best defense ever. Baker's a bust, right? So that doesn't compute yesterday, in, in my opinion. Now, Baker had some bad moments. He also had some good moments. And uh and listen, the player coach relationship here at head coach and quarterback, 749 combined games between Bill and Tom. Yeah. Um, and 27 combined games for head coach and quarterback on the other side of it with Kitchens and, and Mayfield. So, you know, the Pats, that's their 21st game they, they've beaten up on on uh, first and second year QBs. There's like, there's no surprise yesterday, but just some of the leaky stuff that happened, which Bill will will take care of. And again, it's not Halloween yet, so we really don't know what this team looks like, um, what it's going to look like after um, November and beyond. I just think, we need to pump the brakes on everything. That that's my takeaway is, you know, add some context to this whole thing, pump the brakes on everything because I think Bill would tell you that even after his 300 straight win. I mean, the offense has been middle of the road. They've actually regressed in some places. I'm not going to I'm not going to bet against the Pats in December because of that. No, no, I'm not. You know, I, I think you're saying everything that's fair. I think most people are actually saying this. And yes, if you're a Pats fan, you're going, well, "Whatever, dude. Numbers are the numbers." And 
you know, suck it. So, well, okay. So, so then to that Pats fan, would I say, I don't even want to do that with you. I don't even want, cause no, I can already no, see I, like I, it, I, you get worked no, up. No, 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 no. This is you doing the defense mechanism thing. Cause you're a mass hole as well. Uh, I'm telling you, I think another team right now is a better defensive unit than New England's. You no, heard me say listen, that, right? No, no. Yeah, I, I heard you say that. You okay. think San Francisco is a better defense than New England? Yes. Okay. I would say this, though. If you do the numbers on numbers thing, and of course, this is a straw man thing, but it's not, it's not in the sense that if we say the numbers are the numbers, then you have to acknowledge that, that the GOAT is not playing well. And I don't like that because he's still the GOAT. And when it matters... In November and December, when they figure out how they're going to play and who they are, I'm not betting against them. And, you know, another thing is, if the numbers are the numbers, you go, oh, well, look what Carson did up in Buffalo. And what context matters. And context matters in all this. It's going to matter in what September and October looks like. I don't care if you adjust all the bad quarterbacks they play for how the bad quarterbacks have played against other defenses. It doesn't matter to me. I think the reason that bad quarterbacks become bad quarterbacks on steroids against the Patriots is because, no disrespect to the personnel, the coaching and the scheme is that much better than everything else they're seeing. I want to talk a little Browns here because I rarely ever say, I know there's so much that I don't understand about a game plan. When when people say after a game, oh, this guy got out coach, I'm always like, what specifically did you see that you knew that one guy on the sideline couldn't hang with the other guy, okay? Just because he went for on fourth and one and he got stuffed because if it, they converted it and then you're going to say this guy actually did outcoach him because the guy blocked the right gap, you know? Like all of these things are, are, I think, harder to actually see for those of us that didn't play or didn't coach at a high level. But when I watch a Freddie Kitchens game, I, I see a guy who is confused and – for the the results based thing, well, he's new and he's he's younger and he didn't have a ton of experience running his own unit. That's like a quarter of the guys that have been hired in the last 13, 14 months. So mm -hmm. he's he's right there with other people and not having experience with this youth movement or this lack of experience movement when everybody was just trying to f figure out a way to get the most out of their quarterback, which actually makes sense. Like when everybody who wants to knock Kingsbury, who's like the big protect the shield NFL guy going, you know, whatever, he sucked at Lubbock. He said, well, they still scored points down there. And that's yeah. what he was brought in to do. So they couldn't tackle anybody to save their lives the entire time he was there at Tech. But he knew what he was doing with quarterbacks, and when he has Mahomes, when he has Baker, when he has Kyler, and a couple other guys that he's worked with, and they all seem to work out. Manziel didn't work out, but you see my point. Like That made sense. So now when we go, Freddie Kitchens doesn't have experience. There's just dumb shit that happens. And what happened at the yes. end of that game is dumb. And I don't feel uncomfortable saying that about somebody who knows still way more about football than I do. But when it's 4th and 11 and you send the punt unit out there and then you didn't really know what you wanted to do, the game's already over. So I try not to obsess on these moments where like, look, it's already decided. But you put yourself in a situation to have guys like me be like, do you actually not know what you're doing play to play? Do you not have a plan? Are you guys not communicating on the sideline here? So at 4th and 11, he's got his punt unit out there. He decides, you know what, I do want to go for it, whatever, what the hell, it doesn't matter game's over maybe we just keep this thing alive get something out of it so we'll take the false start instead of burning the last time out 
which again, I could even understand, like not wanting to burn that time out. But in the moment at fourth and 11, you hadn't made a decision because it looked like during the game, you thought fourth and 11, let's punt it. Wait a minute, fourth and 16, let's go for it now. The reason that happened is even worse decision other than not understanding distance. It wasn't him having anything ready. And then the OPI where it was to the left side, and I think it was Beckham who got free wide open behind everybody, and it was a little rub play. You knew it was a rub play when the guy was that wide open. They even said it on the broadcast, and I'm sitting there being like, challenge it, challenge it. And I'm up at Simmons' place because we were taping this thing, and I'm like, he's going to challenge it. He's going to challenge it. And everybody in the room's going, no, come on. And then they turn to him, and Freddie's clutching the red little flag. And I'm like, so you're going to challenge this OPI that it's very clear it was. And by the way, if you haven't paid attention to the first eight weeks of how it's gone in this league, these aren't getting overturned. They're not getting overturned. So it's not since week three, I don't think. Yeah, like it's not happening, man. And it's it's sometimes like that Mike Tice thing. I'll never forget the mad challenge. Like, I want to challenge this. You can't. Well, what can I challenge? Uh, You can challenge the spot. Well, I'm (laughs) challenging it because you pissed off about what was going on during the game. That's like me at the end of a Sunday trying to fire off on the Patriots under. And by the way, your dismay over that punt debacle damn near cost my family, you know, a little chunk of change. Oh, So I was pretty upset about that as well. I mean, but luckily this week. Yeah. I mean, it would just been like mayonnaise sandwiches, but. Um, and Waylon doesn't like mayonnaise, just like his dad. So Trick I think there's that. And then I, I think, yes, he knows more about football than you. He probably knows more about football than me, but all coaches are not created equal in making decisions in real time. It's just like the officials know more than us, but we're sitting there on Twitter and we see slow motion replays. You know, it's like we have a vantage point and we have the time to digest it. There's a lot going on, and to be a head coach in the the National Football League, you need to have situational awareness, which, by the way, the guy on the other side of the the sideline has more than anybody in the history of the game. It's like automatic. He's a situational computer. And on the other side, as you mentioned, here's a guy that might know football. He might know offense. He might know scheme. He might be able to develop quarterbacks, but he's struggling situationally. Yeah, and that's it. And and it's not even – it doesn't even need to be said, but I'm just following up on what you said – I know how much more he knows. I, I, actually, I don't even understand how much more he knows about the game than I do. But that's just bad. And your team has more penalties than anybody else. And now it's like he's calling out guys not holding on to the football more, which is fine, but it's kind of tough when the team has a bad look. And look, this Cleveland thing has just been a disaster because of the expectations, the excitement. I don't care that Baker's in commercials. Guys can do fucking commercials and still play football. Yeah, that shit drives fuck. Me. No, seriously, man. It drives me crazy. Like, yeah, he's in a bunch of ads. That means now what? Like, RG3 did a ton of ads, too. You know why he ended up sucking? Because he couldn't stay healthy. It wasn't because he was pitching six-foot subs. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I should say six-inch subs. So Was it six-foot subs? Six-foot subs. Big in the D.C. area. A lot of guys don't know <laughs> that. Uh, all right, let's move on here because I don't want to spend more time talking about the Browns. Give me your best. We'll go best plane ride, worst plane ride. Yeah, uh, best plane ride for me would have been Eagles heading back down to Philly. Just such a relief. It's been a long week, um, and they get to gloat a little bit, and they got to feel good. They're going through a tough stretch right now. Then they got an easier stretch toward the, towards the end of the year with a lot of divisional games for all the reasons we listed. They're in it. I would have been sitting there with my buddy Dom from security. I would have been, uh, you know, reminiscing about everything that happened over the course of the day, excited to get back to Philly. And you get back early, too. You can go out and party. You can go to uh, Vesper, 
or um, <laughs> Buffalo Billiards, play some pool. That's where I would have been. Okay, uh, that's a good one, but it's not the right one. It is the L.A. Chargers leaving Chicago because after what happened to them last week where they thought they won the game, it was overturned, I think, correctly, by the way, and then Melvin Gordon fumbles at the one. And by the way, people dogging Melvin Gordon for, hey, we're still dropping the ball at the goal line where he tweeted that out and then he fumbles. I know it's funny, and I know like in a way you're like, this is really good content, but it's very disingenuous. And I know I'm a man screaming into the wind here, but it just, that's not what Melvin Gordon was tweeting about. He was tweeting about guys dropping the ball, the Deshaun Jackson. Yes. By the way, did you ever ask, hey, Deshaun, how come, you're, how come you did it a second time? No, I never, I never played with Deshaun, but I remember the oh. kid. I'll never forget the kid in U, the Utah game, like from five, six years ago. Yeah, the Oregon-Utah game. Yeah. Yes, it was, it, was, it was heartbreaking for the kid. And, like, do you think anybody does this stuff on purpose, first off? I mean, it's really dumb, but nobody's trying to do this. By the way, wh- when you just said, I remember being a kid, what year do you think that game was? No, I'm saying being a kid, like being in college. Oh, being a college kid. Okay. I thought you were trying yeah, no. to reminisce I had, and tell I had story. Money on. I probably okay. had money on that game. I'm just, I'd be shocked if you didn't, to be honest with you. At least $20, you know? I want you at some point. Well, you know what? You won't ever do that. But that would be a great sit down with Deshaun. Be like, okay, you did it once, but you did it a second time too. Okay, all right. So the Melvin Gordon tweet that ran is over. But those guys, after everything, to beat Chicago, um, the Bears thing, by the way, have fun with that. What did you think of Matt Nagy after the fact going, we weren't going to get more yardage because we're not throwing, and when the team knows you're not throwing, you can't run, which I was like, I, man. I, okay. I, like, I, liked, I like that strategy if it's a 30-yard field goal. But now when it turns into a 41 in Chicago, and you've already, yes, you've already dealt with what you dealt with last week or last year. I mean, like the stakes are too high, brother. Like HB dive, HB dive on Madden. I'm um, again, not a D coordinator, but it is still possible to line up and block other guys and get a couple more yards. Like as you, as you look back at your career as a DN, was there ever a time where you knew it was a run and the other team still got yards? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it happens routinely. It does, in doesn't fact, it? For eight years in St. Louis, we were in a perpetual defensive four-minute mode, which for people out there who don't know what the four-minute mode is, it's when uh, you know the opposing offense is up and they're trying to pound the ball. Uh, there were a lot of situations we never got the ball back. So, yeah, so it is possible to gain yardage even if the defense knows that Oh, yeah, I have a PhD in that. I yeah. have a PhD That's in that. That's what I thought, too, yeah. Because I'm telling you, Nagy is, is walking a real – tight rope although it's Chicago and I'll say this to the youngsters out there if you're thinking about where to move there's no city where attractive women will talk to regular guys as consistently as the city of Chicago like New Is York true? New York don't even bother are you are you a regular dude uh yeah I think I'm a regular dude so what are you uh I know we don't like rating because it's we don't like rating people what are you on a scale of one to ten bro Oh, yeah. Looks wise, I, I I've had a. I think my I think a lot of things about me are are like great variants. You know. Yeah, I mean, you've had years where you were probably more of a a low round pick. Yep, absolutely. Where you weren't sure what was going on up top. Yep, the, the hair thing was an issue. Um, Button downs with t shirts under them. Yep. Yeah. 
But that's how you did it. That's how you did it in the late '90s, early 2000s. No, this was the, this was well. <laughs> I think this was early 2000s. So, and and all things, I, I want to put my cards on the table. I'm like a, I'm a seven, bro. But like, I'm rich and I'm tall. That's all there is to it. We might need to cut that up for future. Yeah, you're you're rich and you're tall. You're better than a seven, though, because the makeup room at ESPN. Absolutely, it, does a lot. it freaked out. No, no, it wasn't. It wasn't covering up for you. But I, I got a couple. Uh, after you left the makeup room, there was a few inquiries of like, "What's who's this Thor guy and what's his story?" I'm like, "He's a lovely poor, wife." Poor, poor, poor man's Thor. Yeah, poor man's Thor. What's up with Boot Helmsworth? Boot like Thor. just North Florida cousin. What's, oh my God! What's up with this guy? I know that I'm not, uh, and you're a hard. You're a hard critic. Like I've sent you pictures. And you'll be like, I don't know, you know, so I, I learned to not feel bad when I know you don't think I'm attractive, but I'm very um, good at finding I'm like Bill Belichick of looking at people's Instagrams. Yeah, you'll see a gum line that's off and it's just it's over if there's a cankle and I'm talking men and women. You're just yeah, I mean, like, it's just I, I can find and I and I look at myself with the same critical eye. Yeah. You know, Rosillo as a background has, you know, over the years with dating situations been like, hey, check, check out. My new flame. And I'm like, uh, you seen her right ear? Have you seen have you seen her right ear? Look at what's that right ear doing? Yeah, yeah. I remember one in particular boot, you were boot like cut jeans. Are those boot cut jeans? You even Not said once work. you were like, you could do better than that. And I was like, What? <laughs> like, okay. Um now again. Also, also, I, I don't I don't want it to seem like personality is the most important thing. Not it's really. the biggest factor in long. No, I'm just telling you as, as a married man, my wife is not only beautiful, but she has a great personality. And if she didn't have a great personality, I don't think we'd be married. I'll put it this way. If somebody tells me they think I'm hot, I'm sort of thrown off, but I've also been called repulsive. So that's what I, that's my deal. That's my life. Um, I try to stay in that's shape. When, I try to yeah. pay the bills. You know, I try to take care of the little things like having a clean house. So, you know, that's that's what I bring to the table. But I also that's, could, you try to take care right. of the little things like having the entire restoration hardware fall uh, lineup in your house on a regular basis. Uh, I've been to many of your houses. They're always they always have the most plush linens and repurposed suitcases that are that are <laughs> that become uh, <laughs> coffee tables, seashells. The only downside is that I may book a trip to Positano and you're going to be like. Uh, who are you going with? Like, just me. So, okay. All right. Back to the flights. Because the worst flight ever. No, my flight back from Positano is pretty good. Um, What do you got? Worst flight. Oh, I, I have uh, I have the Panthers, man. And um, just, I never, listen, I, I talked about this on, on my little YouTube channel, Shameless Plug, uh, with Stanford Steve. I was like, yeah, I'm all over. This is Friday. I'm all over the uh, the under in this game. Whoa. And, and then Saturday, I did a little digging, and I, I saw some factors that we can get to in a second that that made it less surprising to me how how um, a 50-burger was laid on the Panthers. But if you're the Panthers, you're thinking, hey, we kind of got something here. We're pretty good as a team. This backup quarterback's good. When Cam gets back, we're going to roll. And then you run into a team that is going to be the class of the NFC, and you're going to have to beat anyways. If you're going to try to make a run and you realize how far off you are, and then you have to fly all the way home across time zones, you get back really late. 
bad. All bad. The only one I think I could put in that would be the Broncos because you felt like you were right there in control of the game and then Brissett makes two plays that are nuts. I thought the horse collar was a bullshit call and I'm really tired of this thing where every single tackle on your team sideline, if it's your player, any incomplete pass, it's 20 guys in khaki screaming for a flag every time and the officials, if you did this and you ran percentage of of late hit flags on that team sideline as opposed to the player who maybe the late hit was on on the opposing sideline, I, there is no doubt I would bet money that there's a higher percentage of flags on that player's own team sideline. And the Colts sideline, I'm not blaming her for doing it. It works, but it's super annoying. And I think that led to a field goal and also Flacco complaining about, you know, and look, this whole Denver thing has been really disappointing, but Flacco bitching about, their offensive play call third and five. He's like, look, let's try to get a first down here. You know, let's let's try to get into field goal range. Let's figure something out here. And instead, we're just so conservative. Now, the counter to that could be like, hey, Flacco, play better. And then maybe the offensive mm. play calling will trust you a little bit more. But that's where I'm at on worst flight. Yeah, I, I could see that. I just think they had um, less to lose. Yeah, totally. You know what? That's a really good point because as you pointed out with Carolina – you think you're close. You think you're there. You've got this good defense. Kyle Allen's been playing terrific. And can I do the Kyle Allen thing here real quick? Because this Just may do be it, good. Man. Let's do this because I want to do Aaron Rodgers here. We'll do Rodgers and Chiefs because the late game last night. Rodgers has a few more of those throws where you're just like, here we go. But oh, my God, dude. A nice aside sort of transition in a Matt Moore is the backup thing. And is with Baker last year, coming into this year, I'm like, I don't know if he's a star. Like, I need to see more. I'm... I almost need a year plus. I'm still sitting here with Garoppolo going, I don't know. I think I know. I know he's been a little better, but the defense and that rushing attack, like how good does he have to be in that game yesterday? And you know what? Maybe we already have our Garoppolo answer and we should stop asking the question. But Kyle Allen, who in his last four games has averaged about 200 yards per game passing after his first game at Arizona where he went 19-26, 261, four touchdowns, no picks. He wasn't throwing any picks, but then he threw three in that game yesterday. And now it's gone from who cares about Cam Newton, it's Kyle Allen's job, to now, yeah, Kyle Allen, screw this. Cam's going to take back over. I will never be accused of being a Cam guy. I think the long play, I've been right about Cam. The MVP year was a fluke year. If you want to tell me it's all because of injuries, then we're just not going to disagree about Cam, the quarterback. I was hoping he would ascend into that top five group. We thought maybe that would happen after the Super Bowl. It's clearly that's not the neighborhood he's ever going to live in. But he never, I don't think anybody should have just said, up, oh, Kyle Allen, these four games, problem solved, ready to move on from Cam Newton. I didn't think Cam should have lost his job because of injury to Allen. And I don't know that it means it's automatic he gets it back because Allen had one bad game. So that's my whole cam newton yeah. thing because i i actually was a little i guess there's probably people in the media chris that dislike cam far more than i ever imagined that that people thought i did but i wasn't ready to write him off as a starter in carolina and it seemed like a lot of people were no chance i mean to me the only way it's even a conversation about what happens the rest of the year is if cam is not a hundred percent and Kyle Allen went out and and just picked apart the Niners' defense, which obviously didn't happen. Uh, listen, the Niners are built from you know the back down. Their their DBs. I know we've talked a lot about the front. Their DBs have been like glue, and it has slowed the clock for opposing quarterbacks. If you look at a lot of numbers, 
you'll see, and I'm not hating on the D-line in, in, in uh, San Francisco. I love watching them. I think Nick Bosa is as polished a, a, a base defensive end as I've seen come in the league in a while. Three sacks yesterday. But, I mean, you look at his sacks, and again, I've been on the Bosa train, like, hey, let's not look at the sacks. Look at, let's look at all the disruption he's created. But one sack yesterday, he fell down. It's a hustle coverage sack. Then there's a 12-13 drop target, 12-13 uh, yard drop target sack. And then, uh, you know, there's another one where he's running a game, uh, a TE, and the ball's pumped. He jumps in the air and hustles for another one. The coverage is great, and the D-line is good. And, you know, Allen really didn't have a chance yesterday. Another thing about that game was Carolina's defense, and this is what I found out later in the week after I idiotically was on the under. Luckily, never pulled the trigger. Carolina's defense is really bad against run-first teams. You know, you get that safety in the box that gets susceptible to play action, and Niners do both well. And now I'm a believer in the Niners. Not that I ever thought Carolina was that good. In fact, I was wrong about one thing with Carolina. I thought it would be a disappointing year for them because of Cam's health. I thought that Cam would get hurt. It was an inevitability. I wasn't wrong about that. I didn't know that Kyle Allen would hold up for a month plus. And I think Kyle eventually ends up being somebody's starting quarterback. But this isn't the time. You want to win a playoff game, put Cam back in. The only thing that I worry about there is how good Christian McCaffrey's been productivity-wise with the ball under center. And that's the big difference. Cam doesn't take, take snaps under center. Um, they got to figure out ways to incorporate more of that maybe. I don't know. Might be a little late in the game. But Christian's been really good with the ball uh, snapped under center. And that's something you've noticed with Kyle under center more because of McCaffrey. Well, yeah, I mean, the numbers show it. Uh, the numbers really show it. Like, Not to like compliment I, you in the middle of the podcast, but that's like an amazingly good point to pay attention to. Well, to let me make sure it's true. I mean, I, I, I found it in my notes two, about two weeks ago. Um, I was reading something where the numbers were off the charts good for Christian and um, a lot of the metrics for his, his success uh, were predicated, well, not predicated on, but they were improved upon in under center situations. And I think with these quarterbacks, you look at Minshew to Danny Dimes, uh, to Kyle Allen, to Kyler, you have to forecast out a regression. Uh, Minshew had a regression. I know, I don't know if people notice because of the mania and I like Minshew. He's like a mini Russell Wilson. Uh, I don't want to say poor man's like, it's a slight, um, but being the poor man's version of possibly MVP isn't a bad thing. He had a few games where he was hot and then he got cold and um and Danny Dimes started off gangbusters he's had his moments Kyler there's more dimensions to figure out there um but he'll have his regression at some point and Kyle Allen I, I anybody would have had a, a a regression against that defense yesterday good point on Minshew too because that is absolutely lost in all of this um that I've continue to watch it and I think the poise long term hey can he be a starter like that's the best part of the answer right now for him but lighting the league up like he's a top 10 guy like that's not what he's doing and that's why I'd still sit there at the end of this year going okay what do we have with Minshew do we do we have somebody who's going to get that second big contract and be the answer for 10 years at Jacksonville because I think that's what everybody's always trying to do with these guys and honestly that's not what happened Daniel Jones is crazy in that the start of the game yesterday like, oh, here we go again. Like, this guy's actually been sneaky a disaster. And all the turnovers he's had since he's actually stepped in full-time, I believe he was leading the league in giveaways at the position. Yeah. And then he kind of came back and fought back a little bit and made some plays yeah. where you go, okay, you know, I'm not 
I'm not going to call this guy a disaster, but the same concerns about him afterwards. So, you know, all of this stuff is that's why I, I have a hard time ever going, okay, I've seen this guy four games, done. You know, and that was always my Garoppolo yeah. thing. The one loss record was totally, totally confusing. And I go, how are you guys all this sure about this? Like, why am I, why do I feel like I'm the stubborn one all the time? But I'm the stubborn one because the stubborn one ends up usually being like long-term right about these guys more often than not. All right, I got an ad right. read for you. And then uh, we get some more stuff coming up, including, let's just do a little love for Aaron Rodgers. We have worst team to be a yep. fan of history lesson, a bunch of other things coming up. But first... I want to tell you about ZipRecruiter because Cafe Altura's COO, Dylan Miskowitz, you've been hearing about this guy. He's absolutely crushing it lately. Mm -hmm. He needed to hire a director of coffee for his organic coffee company, but he was having trouble finding qualified applicants, so he switched to ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. Its technology identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job, so you get qualified candidates fast. Dylan posted his job on ZipRecruiter and said he was impressed by how quickly he had great candidates apply. He also used ZipRecruiter's candidates rating feature to filter his applicants so he could focus on the most relevant ones. And that's how Dylan found his new director of coffee in just a few days. With results like that, it's no wonder four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. See why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes. Try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Ryan, R-Y-E-N. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Ryan, R-Y-E-N. ZipRecruiter.com slash Ryan. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. You should get hooked up with ZipRecruiter for chalk. Chalk media. That'd be good. I know. Uh, we uh, Hold on. Re Reed's on it. Uh, Reed's here. He's on it. Um, uh, another thing is, I'm glad this isn't a coffee ad. I just want to point out that caffeine is a drug and it's poison. Um, I don't know. I, I still don't know if I want you to say that right after we just did a thing about a coffee director. <laughs> You can cut it if you want, uh, but it's true. Um, Aaron Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers, not on drugs, all natural. All natural. Just, bro, it is so fun to watch this dude, and I feel like we've gotten so enamored with everybody else, and I know that he looked really focused last night, and I don't know if it's because he's in Patrick Mahomes' house, who everybody respects, including A-Rod, I'm sure. State Farm, but. Guys. State Farm guys, I mean, yeah. But I'm sure he gets tired of hearing there's no one else that, that can make this throw. That's become almost like a meme. Like, there's nobody else. Can anybody else make this throw? And obviously, there was the throw in the corner of the end zone, which for minutes I, I wasn't sure he, he, he threw on purpose. Different angles showed me he knew exactly where he was throwing the ball. So you thought that was a real the, throw, that, that corner back right At corner. first I didn't, but then seeing the... I don't know if it was an all 22, but seeing where his eyes were and seeing that route develop, he put it perfectly in the uh, in the corner of the end zone. And the night started for me as Waylon was still awake watching the game. And my wife's in the other room with Luke, and I just screamed because he, he hit that third and nine bomb in the first quarter. And my wife runs in, in, in the room, and she's like, what's wrong, what's wrong? And, and Waylon's like, a football man throwed the football very far. <laughs> <laughs> that's what he said <laughs> a football man throwed the football very far hey real quick are um, you gonna name your third son chase or dirks don't try to talk me into committing to having a third kid on the air you want to have a third one don't you personally i'm on the spot here is this like the state farm hot seat question it is just got real hot uh 
not at the moment. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Love my kids. But, no. you know, Mandazone is not not where I want to go. Okay. I'm just, I just think that, you know, there's still, there's still a couple, maybe Blake for, for a kid's name. Or- it's definitely not going to be Blake. I, I, I had suggested Bruce at one point and my wife looked at me like I, <laughs> like, I don't like Bruce is a terrible name. Is, is it Bruce, Bruce Hornsby? UVA guy. Well, he's a Virginia Bruce Springsteen, guy. Br- Bruce Hornsby shot baskets at my house. Yeah, Bruce Hornsby's a le- Bruce Hornsby showed up to the Portsmouth Invitational Tournament. Nobody went to that thing. A high school in Portsmouth, Virginia, it was like one of the first pre-draft things. It's still going on. And Bruce just rolled in and started high-fiving Kevin McHale and Bird and everybody. Um, well, it was funny when I met him, when my dad introduced me to him, I was like, oh, that's the guy from the Tupac song. <laughs> but there's a lot more to Bruce Hornsby, and he's super there cool. There is. You ever hear him do a cover of China Cat? Arrow mountain no oh yeah i got i got some i'll get i'll get it to you i'm a big bruce hornsby okay. guy look you know anyway uh feel like we got a little lost there all right not a third kid bruce hornsby shout out back to aaron Rodgers. all natural but what i learned what i learned last night is what was reinforced to me was reed is a great play caller uh him and peyton are unbelievable sean peyton of course not great on the fourth down depending on who you ask analytics crowd was they wanted to cancel Andy Reid because he didn't go for it on fourth and uh, four with five to go. But by the way, they've been very good in those situations on third down and fourth down all year. Um, uh, you can yeah, I just I jump mean, in there, though? I think defensively at that point and what can- Kansas City did, and I have this theory about games. Like the better team coming in, we thought it was Green Bay because Mahomes is out and because of Kansas City's injuries. And I always feel like the better team goes up 14 nothing because they're like, we're better, we're prepared, we know we're better than these guys. And then it's like, man, we are better than these guys. And then the other team just inevitably gets back into it. I feel like that's half of the games in the league. But if you go down the line, no Frank Clark, we already know about Mahomes, Chris Jones not being in there against uh, a rushing attack that they had held in check for a while. Jones was more in the passing game. But when Chris right. Jones isn't out there, we, we've said it before, especially like that Colts game, you're like, it's different when he's not there. Fuller's missing, um, and they're also missing their left tackle, Fisher, and then Okafor missed time there. So at that point, those are significant injuries. I know Devontae's out of that game, too, for Green Bay fans are getting mad that they're not getting recognized for their injury. Yeah, but, but, it's, not, but it's, not it's not the not same. The same. It's not the same. So I would think in that spot, and I'm, not, I'm just bringing it up because I think it's valid, at that point, are you even built through the attrition of an NFL game, are you built to stop Green Bay's four-minute offense there? And clearly you weren't. So there you go. No, you weren't. And and so that's that's where that's what factors into that. You can like numbers and analytics are great and I'm learning them, but there's always a side of it that that deserves some context. And, you know, context for me looking at it was I looked at all the third and fours or so that um, you know, the Chiefs have had this year and they've done really well. Um, actually, third and three or less, they've had, uh, you know, a bunch resulting in touchdowns even. They've averaged about eight yards of play in situations like that. So you could extrapolate that in that situation, they'd probably be successful. And, you know, that's the whole thing is Reed is a great play caller, but a lot of these older coaches are not getting on the analytics train in in fourth down situations. But A-Rod, again, 7-0 now against Spags. That spans a playoff game, three Giants games, and now Kansas City, uh, 300 yards and three touchdowns two weeks in a row. That's the first time anybody's done that in Packers franchise history, but he's done it six times. Uh, So, like, 
This guy's a machine, bro. And I, I know that people try to twist numbers and say that he's not the same players he, player he was anymore, but I took Packers money line last night and I felt so good. Like I, my heart didn't even elevate. Like my heart rate was just 58 beats per minute the you entire time. You have a great resting I, heart rate though, just as an aside. I do. Yeah. High 40s. Are you uh, serious? It's mil- high 40s just sitting around? Yeah, if I'm like really resting. That's impressive. Yeah, dude. A lot of cardio until I started doing podcast shit, and now it's probably at 60 or something. Um, but yeah, I mean, the way they've used the running backs this year, it's been huge. Um, LaFleur and Aaron are figuring it out. You know, Aaron Jones, big night. Everybody knows that. But I think more than anything, what I'm looking at is the Chiefs stepped up. The Chiefs aren't out of it. Reed's a great play caller. Matt Moore off the couch, dueling it out with Aaron Rodgers. Great storyline. But I remember in 16 when I was with the Pats, we went to Pittsburgh, and I think they were starting Landry at quarterback. Landry Jones. And you're thinking, okay, yeah, we're a team that's going to win the Super Bowl, right? We're intending on it, and it ended up being true. That was a dogfight for quite a while. So I wouldn't look at this and say, hey, the Packers, you know, they could barely squeak by a backup quarterback. I'm looking at this as a quality win, quality win for them. Good stuff. I have nothing else to add on that. We have fun stuff planned, but before we do that, I want to do two things with you here. The Giants had a players-only meeting, and I've never been involved in a players-only meeting. I remember being kind of a loser Red Sox fan back in the day, and if they lost like four in a row, I'd be like, why don't they just have a players-only meeting? You know, And it was always yeah. like this thing <laughs> that you felt like from the outside a team had to do. And I want you to now tell us because I think I know what your answer is. We haven't talked about it, but you were fired up to talk about the concept, execution, and your experience with players-only meetings. Well, players-only meetings are not created equally, right? They're only as good as your leadership. And sometimes in the NFL, you have leaders who are trying to kiss ass, and it's more about, hey, coach, I'd like to get the team for a little bit. And the coach is like, okay. I like that, you know, I like that C on your chest. Like, you're a leader. And then there's guys that, they pick the right spots and they know when and when not to have one. And when they get in there, it's a forum. It's not just me talking at you. It's, does anybody have anything to say? Why don't we talk about this? You know, it's a few guys usually standing at, at the front of the auditorium. You know, if I was in Philly, it would have been something like, you know, leaky pipes, all these anonymous sources like, speak up. You got something to say, speak up or don't say anything else again. And if you say anything else again, we're going to find out who it is and you'll be the fuck out of here. Like, that's that's the meeting I would have had. Now, people were hammering Malcolm Jenkins at his locker about, hey, does this team need to have a players-only meeting? He's like, I haven't had a players-only meeting since I've been here. And people freaked out about that. They're like, well, if you're a leader, you should have a players-only meeting. I hear it works. Do you think he's going to tell you if you had a players-only meeting so it can become a headline? Like, players-only meetings are supposed to be players-only. That does not include the media. It doesn't include... The Philadelphia Inquirer, it doesn't include, you know, NBC. It includes the players. So there are not they're not all all created equal, players only meetings. Uh, you know, there's ass kissers and there's guys that really want to make the team better. And you got to pick your spot. Um, and I think that that's difficult. But they're not the cure all. Listen, on a lot of those Rams teams I was on, players only meeting, you could have had a hundred of those things. Not gonna help. <laughs> Here's here's what I'm always fascinated by team dynamics and everything, because 
I don't know. I always feel like a loser whenever I do this, but I just know my personality and that if, if I weren't contributing to a team, I would never want to say a, a fucking thing. Like I just wouldn't. Um, right. And I've got to imagine that there's dudes in the room who then decide to start speaking up and I'd imagine even at times being critical of other players. And it's like, if you don't have equity in that room, nobody wants to hear from leadership guy that hasn't made a tackle in six weeks because he's not even playing. And that's, and that's the hard thing. That's the hard thing about being a captain is you not only have to be a good leader, um, and captains, by the way, are not necessarily your leaders. You know, captains are often voted on by coaches. Well, it's you know, auto. It's about, the, the quarterback thing's the dumbest thing ever. You know, kids on camp yes. five weeks and he's got a C because if he doesn't have the C, then it's like, oh, what, what's going on? Is this guy Connor Cook, which I brought up now twice, yes. I think, in three weeks. But uh, the, the cap, you're absolutely right about the captain things. Defensive guys, I believe it. Offensive guys, it's, it's stupid to think that some 21, 22-year-old kid is going to be a leader even if he's a number one pick. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. I mean, listen, I was a captain once in my career, in the prime of my career. Um because back in the day, like when I was on teams when we were young, they, they coaches would pick captains and then we'd vote and I got voted a captain and I got hurt a couple of years. And I would say this, I was uh, an even more impact, impactful voice in locker rooms later in my career when I didn't have a C on my chest. I was a new guy someplace. Um, sometimes people get tired of hearing the captain's talk. You know, I know Matt Slater is a great leader, Right. He's probably not the first guy you'd think of in New England unless you're a New England fan. And evidently he addressed the team yesterday, the contents of which were teased out. But he's always a guy who's going to have the right thing to say. And as players, when you get voted captain or you thought of as a leader, you always have to take into account what you're doing on the field. And so that makes it even harder. You have to play well. And sometimes you might play really bad and coaches are like, you need to talk to the team or you need to do this, that, and third. And you're like, I'm not comfortable doing that right now because I'm not pulling my weight. And I've been in situations like that. And I've also been in situations where coaches were trying to nudge me to be a leader. And I could see the situation and say, I can't lead from the back. So let's see how the playing situation shakes out. You know, right. if I if I'm playing a real role, I can help you, but I can't if I'm, you know, just Joe Vet. That's not my style. Um, so yeah, there it's a really multifaceted conversation, and it's never as simple as people think on the outside, as evidenced by questions like, "Well, why don't you guys just have a players only meeting?" That's like somebody in the stands at a little league game saying, "Throw strikes." You know, it's just okay. That sounds good. <laughs> I'll give you a quick story um, that has nothing to do with with a players only thing, but it was a way to try to motivate. 2002. I always have a million Trenton Thunder stories for my six months there, but part of my job after the game was done was I had to print out. I mean, and this is back in like yes, we had the internet, but um, there were still a lot of things that we were doing in a way that that would seem incredibly outdated now. But after you it was had a done, lot of button downs, tons of button downs. I mean the. Banana Rep- I'd be like, wait a minute, they've got a Banana Republic in a wide check and a, a small check, <laughs> both gray with blue accents. Well, I got to get these. I just got emailed a coupon. Like, I can't just. Who would have thought it. you'd graduate to joggers and cool graphic T-shirts? Yeah, because if we go- went back to that, although we really got sidetracked there when I called you Gainsworth. Well, I, yeah, I think that would that'd be a weird combo nickname. But your nickname should be Gainesville Hemsworth. But. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. 
Because I, because why? Because, <laughs> because I always think of like Northern Florida is like just a. This is gonna sound bad, but like I always feel like there's just like a like a tooth off of being like a beauty queen. Hmm. Yeah. So we'll just. So you're, you're saying I'm close. That's good. You're saying there's a chance. Right. Yeah. No, exactly. I mean, it's actually kind of a compliment, but you know, we'll just we'll just leave it at that. All right. Before we go down that wormhole and go ahead and just let us know on our Twitter accounts if you actually like that kind of content although your one quote is I can't wait to cut that up as the teaser for this podcast here about yourself and your self rating um, yeah I was also thinking should irresponsible question of the week be is Pat Mahomes injured because he's doing too many commercials if Baker sucks because of commercials is Patrick Mahomes now have a dislocated kneecap because of commercials it's a good thought it just Somebody else can steal that from us if they want to. You can go ahead, go ahead and use that. Well, it might play on the big cable networks. It might actually. I actually don't think I have anything left to to say on it, but I'll 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 share that Trenton story to make it quick. I had to print out all of the stats. I had to send the stats off to the Eastern League office or, or uh, fax it in. We take the box score, who did what, and every team had to do it, and that's the way it was done, right? You weren't emailing the stuff. You were actually like printing it out, faxing in your your summaries of of the box score and keeping score with baseball. And yes, I know how to Pony keep score with baseball. Yeah, right. And then I'd have to go to both clubhouses, which are the locker rooms, and hand them out. And it was, I think, the Binghamton Mets. And I walk in, and they had lost like three in a row. And it was a four-game homestand for the Trenton Thunder. So Binghamton's on the road. They lost three in a row. I think somebody got tossed. Like, you know, it was just, it was a shitty three games for them to start the thing. And I walk in, just pleated out khakis, another one of those button downs that I was super proud of. Mm -hmm. And I hand him, you know, the stuff. And, you know, here's a guy. He's probably get, still going to dip in. And they're used to some of the teams actually would have beers in the cooler, like ready to go in the manager's clubhouse. And oh, I walk I wish in. I play baseball. What's that? I wish I played baseball. <laughs> yeah, they love to dip and then have beers immediately afterwards. It's kind of just. Sounds like my daily, <laughs> my daily routine. So. I, I go in with my stack of papers and I hand it to the guy and he just starts going, oh, you again, this motherfucker. And he starts motherfucking me in front of the entire team. And like guys are looking at me, you know, guys are mid rud pull down, you know, just hanging out left and right. Some guys are nude. Everybody's just looking at me. And this guy is absolutely dressing me down as I walk in to hand him the fucking stats. That's it. That's all I'm doing. I, I haven't even said anything. I'm 20. Six, and I'm like, what? You know, and I turn away, and I'm like, what the fuck was that? And it wasn't like I was going to be a tough guy about it because it was so. It would just it threw me off, and I'm in a room of you know, there's still athletes. Like I didn't, you know, I'm like, what? You you can't counter an argument you don't know what the criticism. You have no is. idea what's happening to you because you know you've done nothing wrong. Like you're sitting there going, I'm a hundred percent. This is wrong, but you're still young. I've only been on the job a couple months. You know, if it happened to me in my thirties. I would have not, but I just took it. I absolutely took it. And it was weird because I just, like you said, I'm like, what does this mean? And then I ran into him because you'd still be around the park. And then I ran into him. He goes, hey, we got our asses kicked the first three games. I'm really sorry I did that to you, but I was just trying to wake these guys up. And I'm like, well, let <laughs> me know. Like, let me know how that goes, man. Because that seemed like a great way to motivate a team of 20-something baseball players to yell at the guy bringing you the stat sheets that calls the game for the other team. Like, Here's what I think you do. I think you walk in, just unannounced walking in the Bengals locker room this week. Just me and see what happens. Zach just Taylor get just cussed out. Get cussed out by Andy Dalton. Dalton wouldn't do it, and Zach definitely wouldn't yell at me. So, no, I know I, we got to pick another bottom dweller. 
But I mean, that could be like a service. Did did the Thunder turn it around? Well, no, I was on. It wasn't. It was the opposing manager. I think it was Binghamton Mets, and I almost oh, did they turn it around? I'm. I know that I've told this story before, and I believe the way I told it was I think they got smoked in the fourth game too. Like it did nothing happened. Oh, and then fuck. I think a catcher well. came up to me too and was like, "Hey, man, like that was that was lame." Like so, like and there's a lot of ba- there was a, out of that was against baseball etiquette, and there's a lot of baseball etiquette. You don't do that. You just don't do that. Opposing guy, you know, he's like to get out of our locker room. I'm like, yeah, actually, I'm supposed to bring you these. You guys want him? Remember, remember that part where like every <laughs> every stadium you go to, there's somebody from the home team that hands you your. You're like, let me back. summarize this. You guys have three errors. Yeah. All right, today. hey guys, here's your stat pack. Didn't get any hits again, but we'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> Can you? Give me any insight on Michael Bennett's quick run with the Pats. Yeah. And essentially, like, people probably forgetting he was even on the team because it was a completely applauded move. You're like, all right, you know, let, let, uh, oh, come on. Flowers move on for big money. Yeah. And then sign a guy to short money for one year who should be just as productive. And then he was completely phased out. Like, he wasn't playing. Yeah. Well, here's the thing about Michael Bennett. Michael Bennett and I played last year. Been a big fan of his game since he got in the league. Played together for the first time last year. We really, uh, you know, we enjoyed. Uh, he was my locker mate right next to me. Our lockers, it looked like a bomb went off. Uh, the running joke was it was like two teenagers' rooms. So we have a lot in common. I rushed next to him. He was He's a really good inside rusher at this point in his career. He can still bring it. Uh, but what, what Bill has decided is that he's going to build his teams from the back down. And, um, Rush is not important. It's about coverage. So unless you're a really generational rusher or you're a really, really effective rusher, he's not going to move things around to make things work for you. He's going to make the scheme work for him up front. And this isn't any disrespect to the guys up front there, but there's not a lot of guys that scare you winning rushes. You know, their playmakers are at the second level and beyond. And that includes the backers who play on the ball sometimes. But Mike being more of an inside rusher, not an edge rusher, you know, he's sitting there running games where he's waiting on two rookies or two two young guys you never heard of picking the center and he's got a loop all the way around and like Mike wants to get loose and wear and 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 wear guards out and rush all over the place. That's like how he plays. And I think at a certain point, you know, you saw it with Chandler Jones, uh, you know, obviously to me, still one of the top five, seven rushers in the NFL. And that might be a hot take, but if they're willing to part ways with him years back and seeing the way they've kind of established this model, they're not going to do it for Mike. Um, and he ends up in Dallas in a situation where I think they've already made the most impactful trade defensively. In, or not trade. They picked up Robert Quinn. Well, they traded for him. What did they get for him? Do you remember? It, it wasn't much. No, it wasn't. Um, I, I thought they stole Robert Quinn. I think, in a sense, they kind of stole, um, they stole Mike. Uh, but now they have... Yeah, six yep. rounder. They, they have Quinny, who I think is going to be their Amari Cooper on defense this year. I think you add Mike, that can only help. And then you have Demarcus on the other side. Now the interesting thing is going to be figuring out how he fits in Marinelli's plans and style of play wise, because Mike is a freelancer. Okay, but it, as you had mentioned, as we had talked about, like what you played fifteen snaps in the Super Bowl, right? When you won that with the Pats, a- 18, 18, eighteen, six eight- pressures, Playboy. 18. So that's that's a great pressure rate there. Thirty three percent pressure rate for you nerds. Your pressure rates have never been fully respected. They've never been bad. 
No. They've never been bad and they're never respected. And I remember one night no, we were out. No, they've never been respected. Once our friend took it up another tier, our friendship took it up to another tier, maybe like a tier two, a Matt Damon tier of friendship. <laughs> um, I was like, I know you think I'm just, you know, saying this. I was like, but when I really do key on you, I was like, you, you collapse and then never get credit for what happens on the other side. Like as much as anyone I've ever watched, I can't believe it. I was, I see my thing is I was less of a big playmaker and more of a guy who was going to affect the game and help other people out. Yeah. And you know, I got my stats, but I understand when I was drafted too. people want this splash player who's going to have 15 sacks a year. Like, okay. I mean, that's just not me. Um, you know, and, and yeah, I was always at the top of league in pressures, which is why I say that you could look at Mike and, you know, everybody's tried to compare my stint in New England with Mike's and I've gotten tweets about this, like, Hey, you just did your job. I'm like, well, it happened for me where I was not phased out, but my role was changed in the playoffs a little bit more because we were playing these big gap scheme teams and I was playing first and second down in a three technique. Mike was not getting the first and second down reps. So for most of the year, I felt like I was in a groove, even if I was in a place that I wasn't happy inside. And then I kick outside on third down and they're restrictive on third down. But had it not been for the fact that I was playing inside so much, I probably would have never left. Um, and Mike's thing was he was never even getting those those snaps on first and second down. And I think at some point, I don't know what happened with him and, and the D-line coach. There was a, what was the phrase used? A philosophical difference. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, right, right. That it was a which is beautiful. Um, I think after that, and for by all accounts, it was a really respectful breakup. You know, it just didn't work for him, and it didn't work for Bill. And there you go. And there you go. Like the Josh Gordon thing is, it's obviously something happened, and they go, you know, we're over this. We're not going to do this. And I think that's what was funny about the Antonio Brown thing. And maybe funny is not the right word to use about it, but. When Bill, who always says we'll do what's best for the team, the, the rumblings were that he actually still felt like it wasn't best for the team to cut Antonio Brown and move on from him. So the move on, we can think it's the end of the world, but if we've learned anything through this Patriots 20-year run is that everybody is replaceable except for maybe number 12. A huge misconception here, Rye, is that every player that the Patriots discard or that don't continue on with the Patriots and free agency or whatever are bad. I mean, we can do that another day. But there are a lot of players that have gone on to play well. And I think Mike will have some production down in Dallas. Okay. So we're going to have some fun here. Uh, the history lesson that we were, we're always, uh, we haven't done it yet on this podcast, but uh, it seems like people really like them. Or maybe that's because you know even less about it than I did before I read a book and you think I'm smart. But I, I imagine some scholars on Normandy would be like, you're missing a couple of things. So I'm going to go ahead and admit that ahead of time. But before I do that, DraftKings. I'm excited to announce that this episode is brought to you by DraftKings, a longtime supporter of mine uh, here at The Ringer and everything else we've done. So big shout out to those guys. When you're watching football, every run, throw and catch mean more with the DraftKings lineup on the line. It's simple. Just draft your lineup, stay under the salary cap, and see how your team stacks up against the competition. With tons of cool features for the rest of the season, DraftKings has something for everyone, for rookies just starting to veterans who've been playing DraftKings for years. Uh, one player tonight. Give me one guy on the Dolphins, not Kenyon Drake. Has to be Balaj, right? Juju Smith-Schuster, or maybe somebody what are you from thinking? this. Well, maybe someone from this past weekend. Give me a playmaker that you'd put in your DraftKings lineup. Let's just not say, yeah. Let's not focus just Dolphin Steelers. Give me something next week. I'm I'm, I'm going to say Emmanuel Sanders. Emmanuel Sanders. That's right. Getting uh, getting some touches there with San Francisco after the trade. And be sure to check out the newest game mode. 
Flash Draft. Now you can draft a new team for a single quarter of a live football game so you can get in on the action during the game. Download the DraftKings app right now. Use my code Rosillo, R-U-S-S-I-L-L-O. New users will get a free shot at over $1 million in prizes with your first deposit. That's code Rosillo for your shot at $1 million in prizes with your first deposit only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Who wants to talk about World War II, kids? <laughs> Our demo seems to. The book is Normandy 44. This is a James Holland. That book is thick with two C's, boy. <laughs> yeah. Not low key. This is, uh, it's yeah, you know thick. what? It's, it's not too bad. It's not too bad. We're, we're almost done with it. So, Normie, the great thing about this book is that they give you all the tactical maps. You know, like, here's D-Day. Here's... Omaha, here's Sword, here's Juno, and all the different landing spots, Gold Beach, and then how they move the Allied Forces line down from the shore. Um, but there's there's a couple numbers here that I think are worth. There's a couple numbers here that I think are worth bringing up. All right, you're cracking up right now. Why are you laughing so hard? Because you're like digging through this thick ass book trying to find facts. <laughs> no, because this this one thing. There's been two pages in particular that absolutely blew me away and there's just moments where you go back and read this stuff and you go you know I kind of understand why our grandfathers were the way they were and why they generally probably thought less of a lot of people because of what they had to put themselves through for at that time I think it was a very simple thing you go these Germans are out of control and they're just invading everybody they think they're going to take over the world and I don't want to turn it into like sensitive discussion and how I'm supposed to talk about this, but like every time you read about Hitler, I mean, obviously there's tons of evidence. He's one of the worst people ever, but he also sucked at being the commander of this German army. Like in the beginning of their run, they were just blitzkrieging everybody with these panzer division tanks where they were just fast and they were calculated and everything was on the ground and France is like overwhelmed and they'd run some bombing missions into the UK, but it wasn't as effective as maybe you thought, even though, you know, if you compare the bombing numbers, like I'm not going to get too distracted here. And then by the way, they're also trying to like take out North Africa and then they're also moving East and like taking over Russia. And it's all like at the same time. And when you just look at it all playing out, you're going, this seems like a lot. It seems like you're doing a lot here all at the same time tactically, and how sustainable is that? So at the start of the war, let's go September 39 here is the number I'm citing here from the book. United States had an army of 189,000 troops. Now, I'm sure you can look up a different number somewhere else with different enlistments, depending on what you want to look at here, but this is what's in the book, and I've double-checked it, and it's all kind of in the same ballpark. So 189,000 troops, 1939, 72 72, 72 fighter planes, um, what was the Army Air Corps. In 39, the U.S. had built 18 total tanks, all types, 18 tanks to the United States military in 1939. That's not a lot of tanks. We got to, like, we got to, yeah, we got to have more tanks. Not a lot of tanks, right? So at that point, from 39 to 1943, you had 60,000 tanks. And they built 27,000 tanks in 1943 alone. And the enlistment was somewhere around like 
11 million people. Yeah. Like, think about that. So that is, you know, 60% were drafted, 30-something percent volunteered. Uh, you know, it's like 61-39, so to add it up to 100%. It just basically was like, hey, okay, we're going over to the fight this guy. And you also have, you know, the, the Pacific area of, of, of World War II, but specifically they call the, it the theater. What's they that? Call it the theater. The they theater? call it the theater. That's good. The Pacific theater. That's yeah. very good. Yeah. Thanks. Oh. Yeah. Jump in at any point here. But <laughs> there's, there's this part of like thinking of how the German army was able to do what they did as quickly as they did, where you go, oh, these guys are really impressive, right? They're, they're very impressive. And what an unbelievable, like formidable opponent. And in fact, when you read this book, you're like, these guys were morons, absolute morons. So when everybody lands in Normandy D-Day, it, it sucks because the first transports are bringing guys over in the boats and you can see it in Private Ryan. It's like as soon as that front, front flap goes down, guys are just firing off rounds right at you. And then other guys are jumping over the side of the boat to avoid bullets and then they're drowning from their equipment and then they had these tanks that they thought that they could launch in the water and then drive right up onto the shore and almost all of them sank because they they guessed the tide wrong and so even though you look at it and the first run the first wave of troops are just walking into this awful awful situation once they actually were able to establish themselves on the beach they were able to overwhelm that front line of germans by not just sheer manpower but the british navy there was canadian regiments that were incredible in this there's so many different countries and the allied forces that that collectively planned this out with these different landing points on the beach up there and once they like were able to get in they were realizing that most of these german troops that were stationed up there were the least trained or the oldest and they were like the least fed so those guys mm -hmm. are up there shitting themselves in these bunkers going oh, look at these thousands and thousands of ships out there waiting for us and they'd already dropped a bunch of people um from the air behind those beach lines. So you're right. just looking at the math and looking at it on a map going, there's going to be casualties on these first waves, but once it's actually established, like they're going to run them, run them out of all these spots. So right. the first attack, there's these panzer tanks all over different bordering areas of France, and they didn't centralize them to one place. When the first attack happened at Normandy, most of the German decision makers, and meanwhile, there was like a million of them who were never allowed to make decisions because Hitler would just be like, nah, I'm feeling this today. And he was on all sorts of prescribed drugs, so he was completely erratic and didn't listen to anybody. And they had all of these tank divisions that they wouldn't centralize at where the attack was. So they were just all over the place. So it took them days to realize, like, wait a minute, this is the real attack. It's actually happening. There's this one German commander who was missing because he, he got shit-faced the night before. There's another guy that like, was supposedly in charge of this entire group, and he was with his mistress. And then they found him at his mistress' place. They're like, hey, it's happening, right? Like, hey, there's, there's like a D-Day going on. Yeah, like, we're busy right now, dude. And it's like, okay, no problem. You know, let me just grab my pants and we'll head out. He's like, out. oh, shit. I, yeah, I didn't, I didn't, did you just see my dick? He's like, yes, sir. There's a D-Day going on. You need to get outside right now. There's a bunch of like, ships, a bunch dick, of planes. Put your dick away. The Americans are about to be kicking our shit in. There's also a tank commander on the American side, obviously named Rambo, which is where that all originated. And so he's cool. mentioned in this book. So just a shout out to anybody wondering about First Blood Part 1. I have a uh, I have a Normandy package that I won at an auction for Boys and Girls Club about seven years ago. I get to go to this cool mansion in Normandy and bring like eight people, and I won it, and it's just sitting there. I need to go. Do you want to go? Yeah, done. I would. I mean, I, okay. 
I couldn't be more into this thing because I, I you got to bring like, a date though. You got to bring a date though. All right. Well, I'll see what uh, I'll see what big cats do. We'll <laughs> but but the point no because I'm bringing my wife, man. You can't like you can't just bust up the couple's trip with big cat. All right, that's fair. But look, I, I know I'm rambling a bit here, but I just I if there's one point that I'm trying to emphasize is that this German army was clueless, not prepared, and then while it was happening, it just couldn't adapt. And they had spread themselves so so thin. They still think they're also gonna invade Russia and take it over at some point, and they just sat and camped out in the winter. And delusional. There's no it, it would like imagine the worst business you've ever worked for where sales guys are just selling products you don't even have and then the boss who's supposed to keep everybody on the same page is changing his mind and firing and promoting guys at all different levels so i'm not telling you that normandy like you grow up going this is incredible but like once these soldiers and the allied forces landed and they saw what they were dealing with they're like this is going to suck it's going to be tough and we're going and invading and the the military rule was three to one outnumbering them if you're going to go ahead and invade them but once they started taking over these different German posts and realizing that a lot of the, like they would invade this stuff and then they would clear out everybody, pr- take prisoners. Sometimes they wouldn't take prisoners and they'd find wooden bullets and they're like, well, those are for training. And it's like, no, like the Germans were out of supplies and a big part oh, of, no. right. And a big part of Normandy and all this invasion working and then, you know, having to march through France to take this over was that. There was so much prep done by the Allied forces where they fought a modern war and Germany was not fighting a modern war. They were bombing the hell out of supply lines, different bridges, train tracks left and right. They softened them up as much as they possibly could, but still knowing that, you know, pulling into a harbor and flapping down a boat right into a barrage of bullets in these bunkers, like those first waves of guys were like the bravest and their I, Yeah, I will... Like, I- I will always say that there's one of the few truisms that's not exaggerated in American history is that those guys on that beach were the bravest people to ever, you know, like some of the bravest people in our military ever. Yeah, to, uh, I to mean, think, I'm sure there's a ton of battles that I don't know about, but this sure. is the most notable, you know, day that I wouldn't have it in me. I mean, I guess part of you is you never know until you're in that situation. You lived in that time period and whatever, but I just, it's amazing that those people were so convicted. Um, and then additionally, the way you describe the German army, like it turns out that they sucked in every conceivable way. It wasn't just the ideology. It wasn't just, you know, the whole Nazi thing. It was that they just sucked ass at what, at military stuff as well (laughs) from your giant book. That's what I'm learning. Every few pages, there'd be another story, another anecdote. Like, and this guy was the commander over here by, you know, this French village, but he actually was in Paris at a birthday party, you know, for his kid. And there was a line of miscommunication. And then by the time he showed up, his regiment was like was completely wiped out. And you go, yeah. you know, look, they were going to lose. They were overwhelmed. The allied forces. And if you want to just talk about the fight of right and wrong, there's a great motivation to be fighting when you know you're trying to write something here where yep. a guy's completely out of control and one of the worst people in the history of this world. But, um, and I it makes sense as you look back, if you look, back patriotically on like you know and there's some things i'm not so patriotic about but that's one thing that conflict you're like fuck yeah exactly that's a great way to end it because i i think there's always this thing with american arrogance which is accurate but how could you have not been really arrogant coming back from germany coming back from the pacific 
and feeling like you were on the right side of the argument here Mm -hmm. and going and we kick their asses and Mm -hmm. hanging out in the late 40s and the economic boom in the 50s were like it feels like the 50s are like the perfect generation um and i'm not arguing that it is and you know but it's just i get that mindset so that's a good that's a good segue into time travel actually that's why i think back to the future went back to 1956 right did they really i'm I'm more of a bill and ted guy i know that's probably a hot take but um yeah if you could hop in in that in that in that telephone booth um and go anywhere where, where would you go probably not to germany um to to invade it even though I yeah, do always kind of wonder, had to be do- it, ha- it had to be done. But I'm not going to get in the in the telephone booth and jump off one of those those barges. No, no, not into at all. enemy fire. No, I'm I'm actually. I mean, like, there's a big case to be made that you know hunter gatherer days were great. If you read about what that was all about, you worked three to five hours a day. You know, there was a uh, there. I don't even know if I'm saying this right. I'm really bad with my C's and H's. The Shamish, pe- the Shamish people, the Shamish people, Native American tribe, they lived in Santa Barbara, bro. There were wow. hunter-gatherers that lived in Santa Barbara. Can you imagine how great that lifestyle was? You work three to five days in Santa Barbara. You're sedentary. There's a lot of people, so relative to the social isolation of some tribes, I think they had 21 people per square mile. If you had to be a, n- a nomadic or semi-nomadic people, Santa Barbara, St. Louis Obispo, pretty sweet. Central, Southern California. How are you giving it a three-day work week? Did you research this tribe that much that they were just like, hey, we we're no, just, just we're in general, hunter guys. Ga- they actually had it even better because they had a you know they had a little bit of a pescatarian diet. They had some shellfish going on. Um, would have liked to would have preferred that over a lot of climates. But if you uh, if you read, I forget the book I read, but in this book, there was this entire chapter about how good hunter-gatherer life was. I mean, it was rough, no doubt about it, but depending on where you lived, it could be pretty sweet. Uh, you spent a lot of your time with your family, and you worked three to five hours a day hunter, hunting and gathering. But there is a case to be made that we don't need to time travel at all. Do you know that there's a lot of good news? I know this is, this is a hot take, but 2019 is not a bad time to be alive, and people are going to skewer me for that. But there's a book called Factfulness, which I don't agree with everything in the book, but Obama and Gates, for the people that are about to jump on me and call me a piece of shit for saying 2019 isn't a bad time to be alive in the scope of modern and world history. Gates said it was one of the best books he's read in a long time. Child mortality's dropped. Life expectancy's gone up since the 50s. Infant mortality's dropped since 1935. Vaccines, bro. People used to die of like Oregon Trail shit on the reg. Polio, smallpox, extreme poverty's down around the world. And as weird as it seems to say this, we're living in the most peaceful time in human history. Not to say I'm not scared shitless about a lot of things, but there's a lot of good news. And initially I thought I might want to go back to the 70s or the 80s because things seemed pretty fun back then. But it's either now or hunter-gathering time for me. The hunter-gatherer thing is a great call. Um, the now thing is facts. Like that's just, that's just science. I mean, you can go on Twitter and Facebook and say it's the worst ever, 
I choose not to wake up every day and find ways to express how horrible I think the world is because I think people that do that every day on social media, I don't, I don't know what the point of it is. I've done it a lot. Right. And I'm not, there's no one ever picked me all, all first team happy either, but yeah, no, that's for sure. Yeah. That's fine. You you didn't even make like conference most improved player, honorable mention, all team happy. Um, And I've done my fair share of like, listen, I think why people get so frustrated about now is our capabilities to make it a better world are so high and we, we fall short in a lot. We leave a lot of potential on the table, but in a lot of areas, there are some good things going on. Factfulness is a book. You just hit me with your giant book that you could, you could, you could kill a grizzly bear with. Um, it's not that factfulness big. It's, is, it's, it's, there's a lot of notes in there too. There's maps. Oh yeah. 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 Well, I, I skipped the pictures. I don't know about you. I'm, I'm more of a words guy. Um, wow. <laughs> I'm just joking. I don't read a lot of books, but Factfulness was one, and it's a pretty good good read. And before you guys crush me because I'm bearing good news, Bill Gates said there's some good news. Obama said there's some good news. Have a listen. Have a read. Audiobook. Is Obama is Obama doing the Jeff Fisher though? It's like a lot of those guys that played in the Super Bowl, I drafted with with the good news thing. I don't know when his review of this book was, and I don't remember when the book came out. But I'm Factfulness saying, is, a, is feels- a solid read. It could be an Obama self-motivated thing to be like, you know, hey, we're, we're only a couple of years removed from me. and it's. it's I mean, yeah, he could be doing awesome. that thing, but yeah. he could be doing that thing. Another time I wouldn't want to go is like Oregon Trail time or like Frontier time. Like, uh, Yeah, you said that. You're, you're afraid of all the smallpox stuff. You're right. Viruses and, and whatnot and the inability to cure. That's because I always think Viking times, like I'd like to see how I do. I like boats. I like the ocean. I'd grow out my they hair. Had great boats. I'm big vest guy. It'd be cool to collect different axes and whatnot. You know, there's some definite downside to the Viking lifestyle that wouldn't play well. Um, so I'm not condoning Many. that. But yeah, I mean, I, but then I also I realized, cold- yeah, like I could sprain an ankle and they'd be like, we have to kill you now. I'm like, oh, yeah, bad choice. I should have just picked like LA like, in the 20s. To, I'm four to six weeks, man. Just a high ankle sprain. Yeah, I'm like, no, you got to die. No, you got to die. Um, I think cold weather factors into this a lot. Like, so where, like, like I said, hunter-gatherer would be great. I got to be in that one tribe that lived in Santa Barbara. I can't okay. be in the one that lived in Minnesota. Are you ready to close it out with five questions? Where we don't always ask five questions. Sometimes we ask yeah. one. Okay. Yeah. Toughest left tackle, right tackle. So you can just say any tackle, all eligible to go yeah. up against for you. Uh, in my experience, the best left tackle in my time in the league was Tyron Smith. He still is very good. He got real good when he started to work on his anchor, and then also combat the bull with, you know, if you long arm him, he's very good if you get your weight out in front of him, knocking your long arm down. Lane Johnson is the best right tackle I've faced. I got to face him a lot in practice. Uh, Then there's weird players that, like, I struggle with. Like, at times I struggle with Balaga, Dotson, six-foot-nine guy in Tampa, unorthodox. So, yeah, it depends. There's really good ones, and there's matchups. Okay, that's good. All right, let's, uh, let's do this one. Give me the first shit talk to you on the field where you were like, okay, that's actually legitimately mean when you were in the NFL. Well, I have really thick skin because my dad's Howie Long. And if I played people in like high school sports, I I used to get like firestorm chants. I was like, uh, (laughs) I was like a four star Gatorade State Player of the Year guy. The, The local Falcon Club did an award banquet and they, there was a tie for county player of the year. I didn't even make it into the tie. 
Um, wow, that's you know, like, like there, still there were a lot of people that resented me because of my pops. So when I got in the league, shit talk, it was nothing. I mean, I remember one time Philip Rivers called me a pretty boy after That's I awesome. sacked him for the second for the second time. I was like, so maybe I'm not a seven. You hitting yeah. on me, Phil? <laughs> I know you got a lot of kids, but <laughs> but me and Phil are cool. Like we, we, I saw him. I wish I could say I saw him at the Pro Bowl, but I saw him at the Pro Bowl when I was visiting my brother at the Pro Bowl. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> Just say Pro, Pro Bowl. Bowl I'm like a five-time Pro Bowl alternate. Um, so 18 quarterbacks so, made it one year. 18 quarterbacks. Yeah, it means nothing anymore. It, nothing. it didn't mean a lot, and now it means nothing. Um, but I saw Phil in Hawaii. He's super cool. I've played him a bunch since. Great dude. But he did call me a pretty boy at once. Okay, so that's not as mean, but I do love – I like that story better. Okay, give me uh, the first time somebody – wanted to borrow money from you after a high draft pick and that you were in the grandfather old contracts too oh yeah old, old cba there were um there were a lot of people swirling opportunistic folks somebody's asked me like to invest in like i've been asked to invest in gold mines in like foreign countries like stay away from mines. ghana stay away from ghana there's this really Ho- yeah this hoffman crew ever reaches out to invest in a gold mine in ghana just go ahead and say no hey can we cancel that meeting with the hoffman yeah I just got read to cancel the meeting. Yeah. Um, so I've, I've actually been asked to signing, uh, sign like an NDA. Somebody like sent me over a business idea and I, I he was like, well, you got to sign this NDA before you, before you look at it. And I was like, sure, but I'm, I'm literally taking this email as a courtesy. Okay. And I read the fine print and it was like, if I tell a single soul, I, I owed him like $10 million. And I'm like, so like pillow hey, talk. Bro. Yeah. You're, you're, yeah. So I'm like, was, hey, bro, if I, if I tell one person this person has a shitty idea, I owe this guy 10. So what I started doing, Rye, I don't know how you feel about this. I keep a tab of favors owed and favors done. So a lot of people asking me for favors just realize that it would be real petty if I just kept the favors done, but I also keep the favorite owed, favors owed. And I think that's really fair. Where am I on the owed? Done. I don't think I've written you down because we have enough favors going back and forth that we're friends. Good. I like to hear that. Yeah. I think we're probably both thinking we we've done the other person has done way more for the other one. I think that's how Yeah, I mean and that's yeah. what yeah, that's what friendships are for. Okay, last one here. Um lowest moment. <sighs> and we're we're going to end this pod on a real downer. So let's do it. Yeah. Well, you can you could look back at this moment and and laugh because of what's happened afterwards. But if if it didn't happen afterwards, I'd probably be looking back at it like feeling like shit. Um, so in 2014, I'd played in like a hundred straight games. I was team captain, rolling, averaging double digits for a couple years there. I think I had like 40 sacks in four years. So I was I was big shit in a small town, <laughs> and. I get rolled up the first game in my 2014 season. Luckily, I had just signed a contract, so I was okay a year earlier. And I have surgery. That all comes crash, crashing down. I've, I've never dealt with this before. I go to get my MRI beforehand. It's September. And in St. Louis, I go get my MRI uh, on my ankle. I drive a little bit on my way home waiting for the results. I pull over to read them on the side of Highway 40 near Chesterfield. There's cars whizzing by. It's 100 degrees. I'm sweating my ass off. My car breaks down. My car breaks down on the side of the road, and I'm getting my MRI results read, which which essentially read that I'm going to be on IR. 
I'm crushed. And then my phone dies on the conversation. <laughs> so I'm stuck in a boot on the side of Highway 40, sweating my ass off in a matte green Range Rover, which is the only redeeming detail of this story is that, that I was driving a Range Rover. So yeah. life, is, life is good. Um, and I've got to flag people down in my boot, knowing that I'm out for the season. And that was the worst moment for me. You know, the MRI result being broken down. And by the way, I run out of gas three times a year, probably on average and having no cell phone service. What do you do in that situation? Just start walking, I guess. I can't. I'm in a boot. Uh, doesn't the Range Rover have some sort of button on it? Well, doesn't eventually some... I called like OnStar or some shit. Yeah, you can call them through the car, can't you? Yeah, but it took me like 30 minutes to figure that out. Because who would I call to explain to me how to use it? Like, I can't even use a VCR. That's why I always keep a couple flare guns in the back. <laughs> on the side of the road. Hey, flare gun here, futurely washed up athlete, just, just on IR. I wouldn't pick you up at night. It was daytime. That was the worst part. It's humiliating. Daytime, I don't know that I pick you up either. Philip yeah, Rivers would, though. Philip Rivers yeah, would be Phillip, like, hey, pick him up. Put him in the car seat. Get in the back, pretty boy. I think it's a good way to end it here. You can check out Chris uh, on all the chalk stuff. So get all that stuff out there so people know where to find you and uh, some of these great interviews you're doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're doing, um, you know, I'm starting a media company. Um, so if you like it, go to our chalk YouTube uh, channel, Chalk Media. We've got this fishbowl thing coming out, which was AD Aaron Donald the first week. It's an interview show. Then we had DJ Premier, who's also Ryan's friend. My boy, um, <laughs> Primo. And then uh, this week we have Kirstie Ennis, who was obviously the winner of the Pat Tillman Award, somebody who I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro with. Um, she is an amputee who was the first female above the knee amputee summit Kilimanjaro and lost her leg serving our country. Good friend of mine. And the season is going to roll out the rest of the year. So go to chalk media, check that out and look for the podcast coming out soon called green light, uh, with me, your host, and I will be having Ryan Rosillo on the reg. So you have committed. Yeah, no doubt, man. Okay. We'll uh, be back here. The Rosillo podcast, make sure you rate and review and subscribe. Tell everyone to subscribe. And we're back on Wednesday and Friday. Talk to you next week, Chris. All right, bub.